the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing and engineering today's program. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation I had on Christianity and wokeness with Owen Strahan, and also faith in God or a higher power is on the rise post-COVID. We'll tell you more about that coming up in our second hour of today's program. Also want to give you a heads up, Food for the Poor will be joining me later this week to talk about their efforts to do just that. So we'll fill you in later in the week. Well, as you may have heard, Special Counsel John Durham found that the Department of Justice and the FBI failed to uphold their mission of strict fidelity to the law when it launched the Trump-Russia investigation. Uh, Durham's report was released this afternoon after uh, his years, for to be uh, more precise, his years-long investigation into the origins of the FBI's original investigation known as Crossfire Hurricane. Well, that investigation looked into whether the Trump campaign coordinated with Russia to influence the 2016 presidential campaign or election. Durham was uh, set to release his report this afternoon. The report spans more than 300 pages. Well, based on the review of Crossfire Hurricane and related intelligence activities, we conclude that the department and the FBI failed to uphold their mission of strict fidelity to the law in connection with certain events and activities described in this report. The report says Durham added that his investigation also revealed that senior FBI personnel displayed a serious lack of analytical rigor toward the information that they received, especially information received from politically affiliated persons and entities. This information is part triggered and sustained crossfire a hurricane and contributed to the subsequent need for special counsel Mueller's investigation, the report states. In particular, there was significant reliance on investigative leads provided or funded directly or indirectly by Trump's political opponents. The department did not adequately examine or question these materials and motivations of those providing them, even when uh, at about uh, the same time, the director of the FBI and others learned of significant and potentially contrary intelligence the report went on to say Durham said there is a continuing need for the FBI and the departments to recognize that lack of analytical rigor, apparent confirmation bias and an over willingness to rely on information from individuals connected to political opponents caused investigators to fail to adequately consider the alternative hypothesis and to act without appropriate objectivity or restraint in pursuing allegations of collusion or conspiracy between a U.S. political campaign and a foreign power. Although recognizing that in hindsight much is clearer, much of this also seems to have been clear at the time, Durham's report states. We therefore believe it is important to examine past conduct to identify shortcomings and improve how the government carries out its most sensitive functions. Well, special in quote, I should say, special counsel Robert Mueller, uh, he completed his investigation of, in April of 2019, which yielded no evidence of criminal conspiracy or coordination between the Trump campaign and Russia to influence the 2016 
election. Durham indicted three people as part of his investigation. Former Clinton attorney Michael Sussman in September of 21 Uh, Igor Danchenko in November of 21, and Kevin Kleinsmith in August of 2020. Sussman and Danchenko were found to be not guilty. Kleinsmith pleaded guilty and served community service time. The report states that Kleinsmith committed a criminal offense by fabricating language in an email that was material to the FBI obtaining a FISA surveillance order. In other instances, FBI personnel working on that same FISA application displayed at best a cavalier attitude toward accuracy and completeness, it says. FBI personnel also repeatedly disregarded important requirements when they continued to seek renewals of that FISA surveillance while acknowledging, both in and in hindsight, that they did not genuinely believe there was probable cause to believe that the target was knowingly engaged in clandestine intelligence activities on behalf of a foreign power or knowingly helping another person in such activities, the report continued. And certain personnel disregarded significant exculpatory information that should have prompted investigative restraint and reexamination. Durham's report does not recommend any wholesale changes in the guidelines and policies that the department and the FBI now have in place to ensure proper conduct and accountability and how counterintelligence activities are carried out. So that's just sort of an overview of the 300-page report that goes into much greater detail about the offenses by the Department of Justice and the FBI. Uh, We'll continue to cover this story as uh, more information is made available and opportunity to study uh, this report um, yields itself over the next few days. Well, an election like Tuesday's, we're talking about something a bit closer to home, typically has the lowest ballot return rate of the uh, three major elections in a two-year cycle. With the biggest races for school boards and bonds, it can be hard to get people to vote. But for Tuesday's election, significantly fewer people have voted yet than usual. Marion County Clerk Bill Burgess said on as of Friday, the ballot return rate was about 22 percent lower than the same time period for the election two years ago. That means about 9,200 fewer people voted, even with the county picking up about 10,000 more voters since 2021. That year, we only had about 27 percent return, which is still good for school boards and and, uh, fire boards, uh, but not good enough. Well, ballots have to be returned to a drop off box by 8 o'clock p.m. Tuesday night. If they're mail, they must be postmarked by Tuesday. Burgess said that means that people who use drop boxes need to turn in their ballots before the last pickup time on drop boxes, which can be as early as 2.30 p.m. And there have been... uh, Uh, have to sort of look on the box and see when the last pickup will be. So the earlier, the better. According to the Secretary of State's office, 13% of ballots, that's 387,000 or 2.9 million, or of 2.9 million, were returned for the election statewide as of Friday morning. Polk County had the higher return rate at 15.6%, with 9,700 of a possible 62,500 Secretary of State's office said Marion County is below the state average at 12.9 percent. The highest return rate in the state was Wallawa County with Sherman at 28.4 percent close behind. About 35 to 40 percent of ballots are dropped off uh, the Monday before the election. That would be today. Well, Burgess said Marion County has picked up about 75,000 more voters Uh, in a typical off-year election like Tuesday's. Marion County gets about 30 percent of ballots returned. That's um, that jumps to 60 percent for a primary election and 80 percent for a general election. 
This one is uh, pathetically low right now. Well, my guess is that is a reflection of other counties across the state, whether you're in Clackamas or Washington or Multnomah counties or any of the other counties across the state of Oregon. This is a significant election. Of course, the school board members will be selected. Half of the state's budget goes toward education, and these individuals play a significant role in determining how those funds are dispersed and what the priorities will be. The fact that voter turnout is significantly lower than in the general and primary elections, it means that those who do cast their ballot have an outsized um, influence on the outcome of those elections. Do your homework, cast your ballot, post your ballot. It's important. The future of the state of Oregon, and for that matter, the rest of the country, hinges on um, how education is carried out throughout the state of Oregon, and for that matter, all across the country. So if at all possible, make sure you cast those ballots. Well, amid an alarming surge in drug overdoses in downtown Portland, many politicians in recent months have pointed the finger at Measure 110. That's the 2020 ballot initiative that decriminalized possession of small amounts of drugs and set aside tax money from cannabis taxes to fund drug addiction treatment services. Doesn't seem to be working out all that well so far. Well, results of a survey of some 500 Oregonians released this week by Portland-based DHM Research found that most take a dim view of Measure 110 and believe it's made the addiction and homelessness crisis worse. Yeah, you think? Well, the key takeaway from the April poll, 63% of respondents would support a tweak of Measure 110 to reinstate criminal punishment for the possession of illegal drugs, but would continue funding drug addiction services with the Measure 110 formula, which directs much of the state's cannabis tax to treatment services. Well, that question on the survey could be a hint that political advocacy groups are eyeing whether to launch a ballot measure that would do just that. A DMH, or rather DHM, says the poll wasn't commissioned by any one specific interest group. We have an opportunity to ask Oregonians some important questions. John Horvick, senior president of DHM, writes, We don't have clients that are coming to us with particular questions, but we know that the community is interested uh, in this issue. Measure 110 passed overwhelmingly by Oregonians three years ago. I was a dissenter in that uh, measure. A shift to the state's approach to drug addiction by issuing citations to people found in possession of small amounts of hard drugs instead of sending them through the court system. But reporting it uh, in the past two years shows that the state is struggling to implement the policy and hit roadblocks at nearly every stage. Drug addiction treatment services that are supposed to receive grant funding from taxes levied on the cannabis industry didn't see a penny for almost two years. And an audit by the now former Secretary of State found the rollout of Measure 110 to be spotty, not allowing enough time for funding to reach treatment centers and hiring too few staff to do the job. And on top of the struggle with funding, Oregon law enforcement agencies have issued roughly 4,450 citations since the implementation of Measure 110, but only 189 people have completed screening for addiction treatment, according to reporting by The Oregonian. Now poll results released this week show the toll that uh, missteps have taken on public support. We'll continue to follow that story and hopefully we can revisit some of the questions, some of the issues in that ballot measure, now the law in, uh, in the state.
You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break and return with more headline news. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're continuing to march our way through some of the day's headlines. And coming up in the second hour, Christianity and Wokeness, how the social justice movement is hijacking the gospel and how to stop it. I was talking just before the break about uh, a new survey that indicates uh, Oregonians are not quite as keen on Measure 110 that was overwhelmingly passed here just a short time ago. I did notice that um, Willamette Week had a quote here that every local and national poll shows that when voters are given context about the harm and ineffectiveness of criminalizing addiction, they overwhelmingly come down in favor of Measure 110's approach which is to increase access to treatment for addiction instead of wasting public resources, creating criminal records and lifelong barriers for people struggling with addiction. However, it hasn't quite worked out the way uh, Oregonians who sponsored and favored this legislation hoped. More than 60,000 Oregonians have received services uh, funded by Measure 110, and that number is increasing every day. They're getting housed, they're working, they're staying connected with their families, uh, we are told uh, in the after the false start of this measure. So again, we'll continue to follow the story. Meanwhile, Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler is pushing for a one-year freeze on nearly all planned or proposed increases in taxes, fees, and utility rates after receiving complaints from residents of the far-left Oregon City, which has one of the highest income tax rates in the country. Some business leaders have struggled that, uh, suggested rather, that the high taxes may be driving people out of the city. The bottom line for me is that Portlanders are overburdened. Uh, Wheeler, a Democrat, told the Oregonian newspaper he acknowledged that the freeze would require significant changes to his proposed $7.1 billion budget, including cuts and reductions to municipal services. City bureaus have planned for a 6.6% hike on water and sewer services, a 20% increase in parking meter rates, and 5% increase for several building and development permits, according to the paper. The Portland Bureau of Transportation separately proposed a transportation utility fee, which would cost homeowners about $96 a year. Outside the city, Portland General Election, or Electric rather, recently proposed raising its rates by an average of 14% for all consumers. The uh, Mass Transit Agency, TriMet, is considering a 20% fare increase. Garbage disposal fees may also be raised by 11%, according to the Oregonian. Local business taxes have also shot up 32% since 2019 to pay for various state programs, according to the Portland Business Alliance. We're hearing from our constituents that the increased tax burden is really hitting households, Wheeler says. We need to talk about how to sequence these, uh, what our priorities are and what can uh, be put off. He convened a meeting this week with representatives from the county and regional governments, as well as with public school system and utility leaders to raise alarms about the region's collective tax burden. An economic report released in February noted that Portland has one of the highest income tax rates in the country. The city's uh, voters recently approved tax increases on high income earners to pay for preschool for all and to provide more services to the homeless. A report last year found that Portland's income tax rate a 14.7% on high earners was uh, behind only New York City. Multnomah County has the highest marginal tax rates in the United States of America, but we don't have the income to support that level of taxation, Wheeler told local CBS uh, outlet in February. Well, the Portland Business Alliance has reported that residents may be voting with their feet, with Multnomah County seeing a population decline of nearly 13,000 
in 2021. Well, the mayor and the city's commissioners will vote on the budget later this month. Meanwhile, voters in Multnomah County will decide next week whether to approve a 0.75% tax on capital gains to fund lawyers for tenants facing eviction. That's on top of all of the other taxes that I've mentioned. When you see them one at a time, it may seem, oh, that's a great idea. I'm willing to pay that. But then you add them all together, and it is rather significant, to put it mildly. Well, last Friday, the Washington Post published an article revealing the results of its six-month-old survey six-month-old, revealing that the majority of American adults reject liberal transgender ideology. Most Americans support anti-trans policies favored by the GOP, the poll says. That was the headline of the Post's March 23, 2023 article. In the fourth paragraph, however, the Post acknowledged that the Post-KFF survey was conducted last year and before many states began considering so-called anti-trans bills. The post-KFF poll was conducted in November and December before state lawmakers introduced more than 400 bills this year, up from about 150 bills in 2022, according to the post-analysis of ACLU data. The post reported initial findings in March and took additional time for analysis and interviews with respondents and others. It's not clear how the surge in uh, Uh, opposition to these bills will affect public opinion or whether new laws targeting drag shows and gender affirming care. I I hate that phrase. I need to come up with something that's more accurate in its description. Uh, But anyway, uh, for adults will be popular. However, according to KFF, again, the survey, all the posts articles published prior to May the 5th, 2023, um, uh, addressed uh, findings for only transgender respondents, not the overall public. So they uh, chose to postpone it. The survey results uh, showing Americans reject liberal transgender ideology reported in that article include 57 percent said a person's gender is determined by the sex they were assigned at birth. More than 60 percent said biological males, trans women and girls should not be allowed to compete in sports with other women and girls and youth, high school, College and professional sports at 62, 66, 65 and 65 percent respectively. Nearly seven in 10 adults said they oppose allowing children ages 10 to 14 to access medication that stops the body from going through puberty. And nearly six in 10 oppose giving 15 to 17 year olds access to hormone treatments. And majorities called it inappropriate for teachers to discuss trans identity in public schools with students before the students are in high school. The younger the student, the more likely American adults were to consider it inappropriate for teachers to discuss trans identity in public schools with students. Seventy seven percent said it was inappropriate for kindergarten to third grade. Seventy percent inappropriate in elementary school grades four and five. Fifty two percent inappropriate for middle school grades six to seven, uh, rather six to eight. And thirty six percent said it was inappropriate in high school grades nine to twelve. The Post article also reported the response to a question apparently crafted to elicit a misleading finding uh, asking respondents if they support or oppose laws prohibiting discrimination against trans people in various circumstances. The survey question did not explain what it meant by discrimination, thus prompting about 70 percent of respondents to declare that, yes, they were against discrimination against transgenders in the um, uh, in each of the circumstances cited. 
Well, in other news on the 2024 election fears, China's expansive artificial intelligence operations could play a concerning role in the 2024 election cycle, according to Senator Pete Ricketts, warning on Thursday. There's absolutely a possibility that they could do that for the 2024 election, and that's what we have to be on guard for. Ricketts was speaking to Fox News Digital in an interview from his Senate office. Divorced lawyers for Hunter Biden and his ex-wife Kathleen Buell were aware of money hitting Hunter's bank account from a Romanian uh, deal email show appearing to contradict his ex-wife's previous claims that she had her head buried in the stand when it came to Hunter's finances. Well, during a press conference on Wednesday, House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer revealed Buell was one of several Biden family members, including Hallie Biden, who received foreign money and that Hunter received over a million dollars from Romania. According to 2016 and 2017 emails received by and reviewed by the media from Hunter's abandoned laptop, divorce lawyers for Hunter and his ex-wife Buell were aware of payments from a Romanian deal and discussed how it should be divided among the two parties. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. shared his plans to combat surging migrant crisis if elected president. The nephew of President John F. Kennedy pledged that, if elected president, he would make the border impervious to address the crisis at the southern border. Governor DeSantis landed endorsements from two high-profile Iowa Republicans ahead of his stop in that key state. And New York City Mayor Eric Adams labeled the the, um, county executive who blocked asylum seekers as racist and anti-Semitic. You're being transphobic. Well, a Starbucks um, employee was fired, uh, a trans barista who screamed at customers to get out after being misgendered. I guess you're just supposed to intuit what the correct gender um, and pronoun should be. Chicago residents shredded politicians over their plan to house illegal migrants in high schools. And Democrats and independent voters are alarmed over new allegations against the Biden family. The FDA says the AI and machine learning may speed drug development and manufacturing. A a busload of migrants from Texas was unloaded at the Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C. on Sunday, where Vice President Kamala Harris lives. It's located at Number One Observatory Circle. An ABC local news station in Washington, D.C. tweeted videos of migrants getting off the bus and grabbing their belongings from the storage underneath. There's not a first... um, This isn't rather the first time the Texas governor, Greg Abbott, has sent a bus full of immigrants from the U.S.-Mexico border to the vice president's home. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, Christianity and Wokeness. And we'll also take a look at faith in God or a higher power It's on the rise post-COVID, we'll explain in the second hour of today's program. Well, Japan is warning that China and Russia have increased military cooperation in a bid to disrupt the current world order in Asia and beyond. Foreign Affairs Minister Yoshimasi Hayashi warned over the weekend that Russia's invasion of Ukraine has shaken the very foundation of the international order and that the world should unite in support of Ukraine. But he also urged or rather argued that China's cooperation with Russia opens the door to similar challenges in other regions and threatens to uh, threatens the existing order, which has underpinned our peace and prosperity, that it could be fundamentally overturned. Florida Governor DeSantis met with Iowa voters in Des Moines after President uh, rather former President Donald Trump canceled his event there. 
sparking debate about the reason for Trump's change of plans. After a packed day of events in Sioux Center and Cedar Rapids, DeSantis made a surprise trip to Des Moines to speak to voters at Jethro's Barbecue Southside, just minutes from where Trump's uh, cited the uh, potential for severe weather and canceling his planned Des Moines visit. Uh, DeSantis has not yet announced a bid for president and has avoided directly addressing the former president. He appeared to take a jab at the former president while in Des Moines, remarking that it was a beautiful night. President Biden was awarded an honorary doctorate degree from Howard University on Saturday for his analytical intellect and popularity on both sides. Claims mocked by conservatives on Twitter and contradicted by recent polls. Dr. Wayne Frederick, the president of Howard University, introduced Biden with high praise at the school's 155th commencement on Saturday. Vice President Kamala Harris, who was tasked by the White House to address the root cause of mass migration, attended a fundraiser on Friday in a wealthy Atlanta suburb less than 24 hours after Title 42 expired. Harris gave remarks at the Democratic Party of Georgia's spring soiree in Buckhead, but didn't mention immigration during her speech that appeared to last about 20 minutes. The event came as thousands of migrants flooded the border after the expiration of Title 42, the COVID emergency policy. The vice president uh, focused her speech on abortion, infrastructure and protecting democracy. And Margaret dished on. Um, I didn't even want to go there. Georgia Democrat calls out uh, the party after standing alone in support of school choice, calling fellow uh, Democrats hypocrites and a pair facing charges after drugs fall, fell out of a, a pregnant belly, a fake pregnant belly, while fleeing the cops, made some headlines. Well, the GOP passed a border protection bill in the House. The President Biden says he will veto the bill. With fewer than eight hours remaining before the expiration of Title 42, this was last week, the United States House representatives passed H.R. 2, the Secure the Border Act, by a vote of 219 to 213. Another significant legislative win for House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. All Democrats voted against the legislation, as did two House Republicans, Representatives Thomas Massey from Kentucky and John Duart of California. Ahead of Thursday's vote, the president formally announced he would veto the Secure the Border Act, even as his Homeland Security Secretary sought to blame Congress, their alleged inaction for the border crisis created by Biden. Wall Street Journal reports that a highly anticipated meeting schedule for Friday between the president and congressional leaders to chart a path forward on lifting the debt ceiling was postponed until this week. The uh, delay will, uh, will give the White House and congressional staff more time to make progress in their closed door spending talks, the officials said, adding that one of the uh, lawmakers was unable to attend the meeting on Friday because of a scheduling conflict. So this week they should begin talks in earnest. Higher mortgage rates are another potential risk facing the economy if the U.S. defaults on the debt. Mortgage rates could soar to 8.4 percent if the debt ceiling isn't raised, pushing the mortgage payment on a typical home 22 percent higher and cooling property sales, according to a report from Zillow. Borrowing $500,000 at 8.4 percent would meet a monthly payment of more than $3,800 compared to $3,095 if the rates remained at 6.3 percent. The Biden administration on Thursday proposed new carbon pollution standards to restrict green greenhouse gas emissions released by fossil fuel fired power plants, an effort that, if enforced, would significantly further President Joe Biden's ambitious climate agenda. 
Under the rules proposed by the Environmental Protection Agency, nearly all of the United States coal and large gas plants would have to reduce or capture almost all, 90% of their carbon dioxide emissions, by 2038 or be forced to retire. Spencer Brown weighs in, saying this new rule, one that is being inflicted without assent from Congress, will require drastic and expensive retrofits of existing power plants and a redesign of planned future plants in the United States if they intend to remain in or start operations. Currently, only one of the hundreds of coal-fired power plants in the country has carbon-capturing technology in place. Well, Disney stock saw a rapid fall-off after uh, layoffs were announced. Walt Disney uh, shares are sliding after the uh, company reported that income from its traditional television business had declined sharply and its streaming segment is still a long way from achieving profitability. Shares of the entertainment giant retreated nearly 9% to $92.22, putting it on pace for its largest percentage decline since November 9th when it fell over 13%. Elon Musk uh, announced the new CEO for Twitter. NBC Universal's head of advertising, Linda Yaccarino, I think that's about right, Yaccarino, uh, is in talks to become the new CEO of Twitter, according to people familiar with the situation. She's chairman of the Global Advertising and Partnership of NBCU, which uh, has been the NBCU for more than a decade, where she's been an industry advocate for finding better ways to measure the effectiveness of advertising. As head of that organization's advertising sales, she was key in the launch of the company's ad-supported Peacock streaming service. CNN is uh, rebuked for their town hall featuring Donald Trump, the leading Republican presidential candidate. Either uh, way you look at it, CNN has lost. Democrats rail the decision for the new network to host Trump, while Republicans love how the former president was prepared and took the moderator to task in a funny way that captured the crowd. CNN is facing a backlash over its town hall featuring the former president, an event that swiftly turned chaotic in a stark display of the tightrope facing journalists covering a leading uh, 2024 Republican candidate who refuses to play by the rules. Iran is cracking down on women who won't wear hijabs. The Islamic Republic of Iran issued a new order to the police to enforce the country's strict control over women, stating if a woman fails to wear a hijab in a vehicle, the authorities can impound the car after a warning. California's Santa Ana Unified School District recently approved two new courses, Ethnic Studies, World Geography, three votes in favor, one abstention, and History 10, Ethnic Studies, World Histories, passed unanimously. Both have been widely criticized as biased and bigoted. Ethnic Studies, World Geography uh, is a full-year social studies course for high school students in the district, and its stated purpose is to study political and social hegemonies between cultures of power and indigenous groups as a way to develop empathy for individuals and groups as well as to challenge established stereotypes and Eurocentric perspectives of disputes between cultures of power and populations. It'll take the whole semester just to explain that title. Essential questions posed to students throughout the course include, how do insecurities in regard to self-image affect communities of color? What role does white privilege play in the disenfranchisement of the perspective and challenges of communities of color? And what are examples of racism, colorism, or white supremacy in your daily life around Santa Ana? Migrants are telling reporters they came specifically Uh, Because of the president's immigration policy, CNN suddenly ended an interview after a migrant said that he illegally crossed the border because of the recent expiration of Title 42. 
As a CNN reporter strolled the streets near the U.S.-Mexico border, he stopped to ask a migrant, were you aware of Title 42 and that they were going to open the border like before the pandemic? In response, the migrant said, oh, yes, telling the reporter that he heard the southern border would be wide open following the Biden administration's decision to lift the Trump-era policy and decided to make the trip. The CNN reporter then abruptly thanked the man and quickly ended the interview. I didn't see your signal there. How much time do I have? I'm, I need to go to break. We'll continue our march through the news, but do need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Border Patrol agents arrested an Afghan national on the FBI's terror watch list after he crossed into the U.S. illegally on Wednesday in California. The Afghan national crossed the border with a group of migrants near Ote Mesa, California. Uh, The sources said the Border Patrol agents took the migrants to a processing center where a fingerprint scan determined the Afghan was a match on the terrorist screening database. The FBI was then notified, confirmed the results, and began an investigation. Afghan national arrested crossing east of San Diego is a match on the FBI's terror watch list. A leading Treasury Department official refuses to admit President Joe Biden waited until the threat of an historic default became imminent to negotiate the debt ceiling. CNN anchor Dan Bash uh, pressed Treasury Deputy Secretary Wally Adiamo about the issue on Sunday, um, weeks ahead of what could be an unprecedented government default. He argued that Biden didn't wait because he proposed a budget in March to reduce the debt by nearly $3 trillion over the next decade. RNC research says that if the threat from default is so dire, why did the president wait until this month to have real negotiations? Deputy Sec- Treasury Secretary Wally Adiamo says the president didn't wait. President Biden says the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. James Comer says whistleblowers testifying on the Biden family are being intimidated by the White House. Nine out of ten of them are missing. Representative James Comer, a Kentucky Republican, admitted on Sunday that his fellow Republicans lost track of a key witness in an investigation about the Biden family being involved in an alleged bribery scheme. And a Wall Street Journal reports that an Iranian-backed militia in northern Iraq was behind the drone attack that killed a U.S. military contractor in northeast Syria on the 23rd of March and wounded more than two dozen American civilians and military personnel, according to U.S. officials. The Iraqi origin of that attack has not been previously reported, but was acknowledged by a senior U.S. military official on Saturday in response to questions from The Wall Street Journal. It was one of four attempted drone attacks launched from the Iraqi territory by Iranian-backed militias against U.S. forces outside the country since August. Russia's defense ministry said on Sunday that two of its military commanders were killed in eastern Ukraine as Kyiv's forces renewed efforts to break through Russia's defenses in the embattled city of Bakhmut. In a daily briefing, the the ministry said that the commander of the 4th Motorized Rifle Brigade and deputy commander uh, from a separate unit were killed trying to to repel Ukrainian attacks. It also said Ukrainian forces waged attacks on the north and south in that same city, over the past 24 hours, but that they had not broken through Russian defenses. All attacks by units of Ukraine's armed forces have been repelled, it said, so far. Gavin Newsom balked at uh, reparations due to the mass deficit in California. The stunt appears to have backfired. Anyone with uh, 
common sense on a calculator knows that Gavin Newsom had no intention of actually moving forward with reparations, but it sure sounds good. Former U.S. Marine Daniel Penny's legal defense crowdfund garnered $1.4 million from 23,000 donors so far. Now, Penny killed Jordan Neely on the Manhattan subway train on the 1st of May after putting the man into a chokehold. It's all it all started when Neely behaved erratically and threatened the passengers before Penny came uh, to others rescue and subdued him. He had threatened the lives of all of them and said he was not concerned about losing his own. He would be willing to take them out uh, if necessary. Due to Neely's death, Penny now faces a second degree manslaughter charge, but was released on one hundred thousand dollar bail on Friday. An impre- impressive sum of fourteen um, uh, one point four million, I should say, has been raised by Saturday night. Thanks to the contrib- contributions of some twenty three thousand donors. Dan Snyder is um, planning to sell what the Washington Commanders NFL team to the Harris Group for about $6.5 billion. And dispatches from an alternate universe with some 700,000 migrants now surging across the U.S. southern border following the end of 42, on top of the record numbers of uh, those who have entered the country since Joe Biden took office. NBC News dropped a story claiming there are not enough immigrants in the country. In an article titled, Dwindling Immigration Puts Squeeze on Home Building, NBC uh, uh, asserts that Donald Trump's tough illegal immigration enforcement policies are directly responsible for shrinking the country's home construction workforce. On Thursday, U.S. District Judge Robert Payne sided with the Constitution when he struck down a longstanding federal ban on licensed firearm dealers selling handguns to 18 to 20 year olds. The ban, enacted in 1968 as part of the Gun Control Act, was ruled unconstitutional by Payne, who wrote, because the statutes and regulations in question are not consistent with our nation's history and tradition, they therefore cannot stand. Elon Musk, the self-described head twit, has reportedly found his new Twitter CEO of the hire. Uh, Musk tweeted, she will be uh, starting in six weeks. My role will transition of being executive chair and CTO overseeing product, software, and psyops. Bud Light is taking um, incoming fire from the left, with Bud Light sales continuing to drop in every region of the country. Anheuser-Busch is not only being boycotted by conservatives, but is also now taking fire from the Rainbow Mafia. Four gay bars in Chicago removed Anheuser-Busch products from their menus due to the beer company's supposed failure to support the LGBTQ community following the kerfuffle over Dylan Mulvaney. Speaker McCarthy canceled Representative Tlaib's anti-Israel event. The anti-Semitic Democrat representative will not be able to host an anti-Israel event using the Capitol Visitor Center thanks to a move by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy not only canceled Tlaib's anti-Israel event, but announced that he will host a bipartisan discussion to honor the 75th anniversary of the U.S.-Israeli relationship. Bernie Sanders is a fan of socialism, so much so that he even wrote a book about the evils of capitalism. But if he didn't uh, double his already substantial capitalist income with his anti-capitalist screed, it's okay to be angry about capitalism, earned him about $170,000 in 2022, which is just shy of $174,000 he earned as a senator. His total take from the book so far, $340,000. 
Amusingly enough, Sanders is a piker compared to his socialist buddy Elizabeth Warren, who raked in nearly 450000 from book royalties in 2022. Capitalism is an evil thing unless, of course, you can profit from it personally. Over the last uh, year, six children have tragically died in U.S. custody at the border. It's unacceptable, Joe Biden said in 2019. It's not who we are, and silence is complicity. Well, back then, he was just running for president. Now that he holds the post, he was critiquing 2019, his singing a different tune, or not singing, as the case may be, at all. A 17-year-old Honduran migrant died in U.S. custody last week amidst a massive surge in illegal border crossings. We are certainly aware of the tragic loss, said White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, uh, and our hearts go out to the family. Biden didn't comment at all, and Jean-Pierre She failed to note that more than 800 migrants died attempting to cross uh, Biden's open border in fiscal 2022. Mayorkas says 24,000 border agents are ready to stop the migrant surge as Title 42 expires. And former President Trump has appealed, appealed, yes, the Carroll verdict as Carroll mulls over filing a third defamation lawsuit over his uh, town hall remarks. Emails show that Biden's State Department sought to protect China during the spy balloon fiasco, and Disney reneges on a meeting with Uyghur genocide victims. Blue chip advertisers returned to Fox News after Carlson was taken off the air, and fake meat companies shares um, have tumbled to a new low months after a factory contamination scandal. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up here at the top of the hour. And when we return, Christianity and wokeness, how the social justice movement is hijacking the gospel. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, I've been looking forward to the conversation we're just about to have with Dr. Owen Strand. He's the author of Christianity and Wokeness. How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. It's published by Salem Books. He points out that wokeness has been a term that's widely used by the media and the left since 2014. Well, since then, the idea of wokeness has bled into the culture, into television, and now even our churches. Preachers are speaking on critical race theory, telling their congregations that silence is violence and that whiteness is white supremacy. And while these pastors might mean well, this so-called woke gospel is not true justice or true Christianity. Well, Dr. Um, uh, Strand is the provost and research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary and senior fellow with the Family Research Council. He's become an expert on social justice and wokeness. In his latest book, Christianity and Wokeness, uh, Dr. Strand writes about the alternative religion of wokeness, one that is far from Christ's teaching. And by diving into the teachings of critical race theory and its problematic cousin, wokeness, Dr. Strand has a simple warning to the American church. By embracing wokeness, you're embracing teaching antithetical to the gospel. And that's an important point we need to uh, to ponder here today. Well, again, Dr. Strand is a provost and research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary and a senior fellow with the Family Research Council, earned his Ph.D. in theology from uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He's the author of some 20 books, including Reenchanting Humanity, A Theology of Mankind. He lives with his family in Conway, Arkansas, and I am just delighted that he is with us here today. Thank you so much for joining us. For having me back on, I really appreciate it. 
Well, this is such an important topic, and I fear that many of us are using the words or even referencing some of the concepts without fully understanding what they mean or the implications of it. So this is such a timely book. And as the title would suggest, this book is written uh, for those who embrace a Christian worldview or at least have some curiosity about a Christian worldview to discover whether or not it's compatible. Wokeness or critical race theory is compatible uh, with a biblical worldview. Yes, that's exactly right. Fundamentally, wokeness means uh, being awake to the nature of America as a systemically racist and uh, unjustly unequal society. So when you wake up to that, you become essentially an activist against that situation, that complex of factors. And then critical race theory means uh, this, this academic discipline. It signals this academic discipline that trains you to understand that America is divided along the lines of racial power dynamics such that white people effectively function as oppressors who foment white supremacy, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And people of color are, uh, are structurally oppressed people, uh, no matter what their situation is, whether they are millionaires or poor, it does not matter. That's how critical race theory approaches uh, our society. So these these ideologies, as you very rightly said just a minute ago, are cousins. They're very similar. They're simpatico with one another, and they pose a major threat to the Christian faith today. Tragically, very few Christians are being warned about these mm-hmm. systems, and even fewer still are being trained to understand them. And so that means that the gospel and the Christian worldview more generally is in danger of being hijacked today. Now, one of the things I want to emphasize before we move on is as an African-American, I know that racism exists in this country, but I wholly reject critical race theory. One of the uh, components of it is there's no redemption. It's not a, a matter of identifying racism as it exists either systematically or in the life of the individual. There's no redemption. You will always be the oppressor. I will always be the victim. There's no reconciliation or restoration. You are perpetually owing the victim, which would be me in this case. Um, And it just it's, again, antithetical to the Christian principle of redemption through Jesus Christ. Yeah, you can kind of understand how it has a sort of secular pull to it. If you take grace out of your worldview, if you take forgiveness and unity in Christ out of your way of thinking, honestly, this way of thought makes a lot of sense because it's basically a world of holding one another to account writ large across generations. Now, I don't mean to to indicate that these concepts are sound, but I do mean if you deny the existence of forgiveness, of grace, of getting over past sins, of making societal progress, if you believe that the, the evils of the past can never be overcome, then this is the system for you, because it allows you basically to stereotype people, to buy into race essentialism, the, the vision that there is a hard and fast reality of whiteness and blackness, for example, that separates us as human people. And then you can live in this kind of perpetual victimhood cycle where, yes, America has real failings and sins in its past, uh, it, it, it hasn't magically extinguished them in the present, and we're going to fight partiality in the future. But this system teaches you that America is actually more racist today mm-hmm. in 2021 than in the days of white supremacy in the 19th century. And that is a claim that shows you that we are not 
in a system that is actually working against racism and for justice here. We are working with a system that is pro-racism in a new form, even though very few people know it to be that. Mm. And unlike the civil rights movement, the goal isn't a level playing field where we all have equal opportunity uh, to develop our gifts and to pursue opportunities. That's that's not the goal. It is to foment the, the kind of disunity that says you will owe me always and I will uh, take from you always because that's just your nature and there's no getting around it. Yes, it's very similar to when in a personal relationship we reject forgiveness. Uh, we all know that there can be hard relationships that we face. Every one of us does in some form. And we think in certain instances, I'm going to hang on to my bitterness here. Uh, this person has come to me and asked forgiveness, but it feels freeing to be angry, uh, to, to be a victim in our own mind. In reality, that that is to be trapped. That is to be imprisoned by your anger. And, and tragically, uh, that is what wokeness does. It traps you in a cycle of anger and victimhood where you never can move past America's past failings, especially those that were codified in law and policy. And instead, you bring the, the anger of the past into the, into the present, and you then indict people who have had no participation, let's say, in slavery or Jim Crow or segregation, and, and are often bewildered by the claims of critical race theory. But that's what this system trains you to do. In doing so, it doesn't free you. It's not, it's not solving the problem of racism. It's actually entrapping you. Satan is actually behind this system. And and he loves it because there's no forgiveness in it, there's no peace in it, and there certainly is no gospel unity in the name of Jesus Christ in it. We're talking about a neo-Marxist system. Uh, Before we go to break here, can you give us a definition of critical race theory and wokeness? Yes, critical race theory is the view that America is divided along the lines of racial power dynamics with white people effectively in neo-Marxist terms as oppressors, people of color as the oppressed. Wokeness is the broader mindset and mentality, I believe, that embracing critical race theory creates. So lots of people are never going to read a page of CRT, but they can be woke, which means being awake to the nature of systemic racism and inequality in America. We're talking this afternoon with uh, Dr. Owen Strand. He is the author most recently of Christianity and Wokeness, how the social justice movement is hijacking the gospel and the way to stop it. The book is published by Salem Books. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing a conversation with Dr. Owen Strand. He is the author most recently of Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. Now, when you think about the broader culture, there are major concerns about critical race theory and this call to become woke. But as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, I'm most concerned about the problematic elements of the church embracing critical race theory. So let's talk about why it's problematic and where you see this headed if the church doesn't wake up. Yeah, great question. As I say in uh, Christianity and Wokeness, this new book, fundamentally, This is not the way to view the world, because critical race theory, if embraced, actually trains you in Mm neo-racism. It's grounded in race essentialism, or what is sometimes called 
strategic essentialism. Critical race theory is not actually grounded in the Christian faith or in a foundational truth system. It's grounded in midair. Its feet are firmly planted in midair. It's a postmodern system, but it trains us to at least act as if race is a real thing. And in doing so, it then builds off of that and says the history of America means that whiteness effectively creates a system of white supremacy that entraps people of color. And so we need to recognize this is a system that is making truth claims, not truth claims that are grounded in Christianity, uh, but truth claims that are grounded in neo-Marxist ideology. And the Christian faith speaks a much, much better word. It trains us that everybody is made in the image of God, that we have all fallen in Adam, Genesis 3, a real historical fall by a real historical Adam, and that we do all commit sins against one another. We do show partiality against one another, including because of skin color and background, and that is vile. That's sinful. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Christian faith actually gives you the moral framework to know that racism is wrong, unlike postmodernism, which has no such foundation. Now, do critical race theorists um, see uh, CRT running parallel to Christianity in that social justice is ultimately the goal, or do they, as neo-Marxists, reject the notion of religion or Christianity in particular as being part of the problem? That's a great question. You hear different tones from different people. Probably the best-known woke voice in America today is Ibram X. Kendi, mm-hmm. a professor at Boston University. And Kendi rejects the form of Christianity, some sort of undefined form, but he rejects Protestant Christianity for what he calls anti-racism. And he has gone so far as to say that, this is a direct quote, anti-racism is life. And what he seems to mean by that is that even though he doesn't give you a fully coherent religious worldview, actually, uh, his version of wokeness can function in those terms. If you will embrace being an anti-racist and working for social justice through anti-racism, you will end up uh, partaking of life. You will end up fully living. So we need to recognize that what voices like Kendi's offer us may not have a fully mapped out religious worldview, but they at least are functioning as if their worldview is the true one, and they and that we should not follow the Christian worldview, we should follow them. And there we see that these are oppositional systems. You cannot blend Christianity with critical race theory or with wokeness or with intersectionality the way people say you can. Now, how does this... Uh, align with or does it align with um, the liberal view of Christianity in which the general moral good, as opposed to the redemption of the individual soul through Jesus Christ, is ultimately the goal? Does this appeal to um, the, the, the more of a liberal view of, of Christianity? That is the point I make in the opening pages of this book. Uh, I think that this is basically a racialized form of the social gospel of a hundred mm-hmm. years ago. So I, I think this is new in one sense in that it's strongly focused on solving so-called systemic racism, which is basically a made up concept today in America from the left. But I, I do think it has all the, the infrastructure. It, it's built on the skeleton of the social gospel of a hundred years ago, which we thought in Protestant circles basically died out. 
uh, Georgie, it turns out that the social gospel is not dead at all. No. It's back. It has a new spin. It has a strongly racial spin uh, that fits our age because everybody in America is terrified of being even called a racist. If you even throw the charge of racism in many people's direction, they, they will fall to the ground. They won't think it through. They won't defend themselves. They won't separate genuine partiality, true racism, so-called, uh, from, from fake racist charges. They will simply flee. And uh, anti-racists and woke voices and critical race theorists know that. And very, very few people will respond to the system. Very few people will destroy the stronghold in a second Corinthians 10, three to six cents. And that is a huge part of why the racialized social gospel is advancing so imperially today. Mm. And why your book, uh, Christianity and Wokeness, is so important right now so that we can understand what's happening. And the fact that, from my perspective, this is a devilish plot to try to weaken the church and undermine God's calling on his people. Now, can you explain the concepts? You kind of touched on them a little bit. The concepts of white privilege and white supremacy, which, again, are used to bludgeon uh, Caucasians in our culture. Yeah, white privilege basically means that because white people are the dominant group, the majority group in American culture, there's just a horde of benefits that they have that people of color cannot have. So America is not an equal society um, because wokeness functions out of the, the ideology of, of neo-Marxism, and it believes that everybody should have equality of outcome. It believes that fundamentally to even have a majority culture is basically wrong. So white privilege is a very bad thing. I say this in the book, Georgine, but I think much of what woke voices call white privilege and indict as sinful and wrong is simply a function of having a majority culture. Mm -hmm. Most countries in the world have a majority culture. And there are some societal norms in Japan or in Russia or in Nigeria uh, or in Canada, places in Canada. Majority culture should not be understood as perfect, nor do I think, at least in a lot of places, should it be understood as inherently fundamentally evil. It's really a blend of things. But what critical race theory and wokeness do is poison majority culture, weaponize majority culture, and tell us that when you have a lot of white people, you have this condition of white supremacy. That's the second term you asked about. White supremacy does not refer to burning crosses in front yards anymore. It refers to what happens when white people are white out in public. And that means that White people are constantly transmitting the biopower of whiteness. Uh, they're committing all sorts of what are called microaggressions in conversation, where because they are the, the majority group, they are effectively oppressing people, whether or not they ever say something racist or do something racist or not. So as you said a minute ago, this is a devilish system because it tells you that you are inherently racist, as a white person, or if you're somebody who hasn't challenged white supremacy, and then if you deny that you're a racist, it says, see, your denial proves that you're a racist. So it has you either way. It has all the exits covered, and that's one of the ways that it shows that it is uh, a bankrupt system. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation this afternoon with Dr. Owen Strand, the author most recently of Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel, 
and the way to stop it. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. And I'm so honored to have uh, Dr. Owen Strand uh, as our guest this afternoon. His book, uh, most recently, Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. I think there's something appealing in general to believers who want desperately to be relevant in the culture, who want to address uh, issues of wrong and to try to set them right. Uh, the, the phrase social justice just appeals to the Christian heart where you want to to see things um, uh, repaired. And yet um, there is a move afoot that uh, would would draw us in and draw us away from what the scriptures teach. And I appreciate so much what this book, Christianity and Wokeness, does in helping to inform us not only what it means, how it's infiltrating the church, but what we can do uh, to stop it. Uh, because as followers of Jesus, our primary concern, I mean, the culture is going to go uh, its way. But what I'm primarily concerned about as a Christian is what does this mean for the church? And are we being distracted and, and lured away from what God is calling us to do? Now, Dr. Strand, do you think that um, uh, there is a purposeful indoctrination happening in the media, in the culture and schools and even in our churches? And what does that mean for believers and the church moving forward? Yeah, there are hard forms and softer forms. The harder forms are typically in our public school classrooms today, where critical race theory is definitely being taught. Uh, The left has reacted to the backlash, the just backlash, against CRT and wokeness by saying that conservatives and the far right are making CRT this boogeyman, uh, and and they're, they're protesting that um, teaching against racism is happening in schools, and, and so the far right doesn't want to acknowledge racism. Again, it's, it's, it's creating this boogeyman. That is not at all the case. Um, CRT is very clearly getting into our schools. To give just one example, the Buffalo school system uh, was outed through internal documents uh, as teaching that white people are effectively white supremacists, because the kind of ideas that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And so this is out there. This is, this is this is in the mix. We should assume it's in the boardroom. Uh, it's it's now increasingly in movies. It's in public schools. It's in entertainment, and it's definitely getting into the church. In many cases, it gets into the church in a soft form, and that's that's the way it works with the social gospel as well. Very few Protestant pastors are going to stand up and give an hour long diatribe about critical race theory in, in a pro CRT way. What they're going to do is they're going to Christianize it, and that's compromised, but they're going to say, we need to think through white fragility, white privilege, white supremacy. We need to think about um, uh, systemic racism and structural inequality. And that's the way that that wokeness is getting into the church today, through the usage of those terms, and then through literature that promotes this worldview, even though many pastors will say they're not themselves fully woke or fully pro-CRT. They're just trying to introduce some of the ideas for consideration. And it's through such weak and compromised leadership that the church is being influenced by the woke social gospel. Hmm. My next question was going to be, what are some of the signs of a woke church? And you've answered that question. But how can we address our concerns with church leadership? It, it can be awkward. It can be uh, challenging, strained. It, how can we approach as parishioners and, and perhaps among our listeners today, some leaders in the church, how can we do that in a way that's consistent with a, a Christian worldview, but addresses what's going wrong? 
Great question. As I say in Christianity and Wokeness, my new book, life is too short to sit under unsound doctrine. So what you need to do if these ideas are getting into your church, and you will be able to tell, you will know when secular sociology is coming into the pulpit and and the preacher is no longer standing upon the Word of God. If you hear the kind of ideas that we have talked about in this show, uh, then indeed you are hearing wokeness talking. And I would encourage your listeners, and I know you have many, to make an appointment with their pastor, their elders, whoever it may be, and sit them down and graciously talk through their convictional concerns. And if the leadership does not change course, does not repent, that's what they should do, uh, then it is time for you to find a new church, and you should do so uh, with wind in your sails, because you do not want to be taken captive by godless ideology, Colossians 2.8. And if you have a family, as many folks will, you don't want them to be taken captive. You want to sit under sound doctrine, and you want to sit under the ministry of Christ's gospel, which is not a gospel fundamentally of, of racial hostility. It is a gospel of fundamental unity through the blood of Jesus Christ. What's at stake if the church veers off course, as it sometimes does, uh, with critical race theory and becoming woke, reflecting the culture rather than the gospel? What's going to happen is what happened 100 years ago with the social gospel, which tore through evangelicalism like a tornado. Um, Basically, the social gospel took over many churches, many schools, many seminaries, many institutions, missions, agencies, and so on. And it corrupted them, and it caused many uh, one-time evangelical institutions to stop preaching the gospel of the new birth and to start preaching the gospel of cultural change. And to this day, the American mainline is still dying on the vine because of the, the introduction of the social gospel roughly 100 years ago. If we do not want that to happen in our time again, basically 100 years later, Uh, We are going to have to fight like crazy, not fighting out of hatred of flesh and blood, uh, fighting out of love, love for God, love for God's truth, and love for image bearers and church members we don't want taken captive by these ideologies. We know how this story plays out. It played out just a hundred years ago. There are books, dozens of books, written about the effects of the social gospel, and uh, it's going to happen again. It is now playing out in real time again. Satan is using a racialized social gospel in our day, and it is time for every Christian to get to the ramparts. It is time for every Christian to get to the wall. One of the major ways you can do that, whether you are in ministry or not, whether you ever spend a minute in a seminary class or not, it does not matter. You can get equipped on these issues. You can read a book like mine, Christianity and Wokeness. You can pick up Bodie Bauckham's Fault Line. Mm -hmm. You can get Jeffrey Johnson's What Every Christian Needs to Know About Social Justice, and you can get equipped. And then you can start talking to people in your church, in your social group, in your workplace, in your school, and you can take a stand. And oftentimes, you actually don't need 6,000 people to take a stand for it to be effective. In many cases, the fire is lit by just one person in a community, in a church, in whatever environment it may be. So do not think that you are too small for the task and that God cannot use you because perhaps you may not be in ministry. That is a lie. God will use a Christian as salt and light in incredible ways if we will stand on the Word of God. 
Amen. We're talking about Christianity and wokeness. I should mention that you have a recommended uh, recommended reading list, which is very helpful. You have some secular sources to understand wokeness uh, from proponents, as well as understanding wokeness from non-Christians and to answer wokeness for Christians. So that's in the book, as well as a glossary of terms as you're hearing them used to understand what's meant by them so that we can speak clearly and with understanding about this this issue in our day. Once again, the book is titled Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. The book is published by Salem Books just out, and I would highly recommend you read it if you want to be relevant and understand what's happening in the culture. I think you need to, to do so with, you know, on your knees praying, God, how would you use me to speak truth to the culture and to the church uh, as needed. Uh, Dr. Strand, I am so grateful for you and your willingness to stand on truth and equip fellow believers so that we can honor Christ in our day here in the 21st century. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Well, those are very gracious words. I appreciate you very much, Georgine, and thank you for having me on. Thank you. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments. By the way, if you happen to be in your car and didn't get the title of the book, you can go to The Georgine Rice Show Facebook page or kpdq.com. You can call the office. We want to make sure you get Christianity and Wokeness, how the social justice movement is hijacking the gospel and the way to stop it. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. <clears throat> well, faith in God or a higher power is on the rise among young Americans in the wake of the COVID pandemic, according to a new poll. Samaritan's Purse President Reverend Franklin Graham weighed in on the new study that suggests Americans are rapidly, rapidly losing religious faith. A rising number of young people believe in God or a higher power, according to a recent survey of Americans age uh, from 18 to 25, the survey rather conducted in December by the Springtide Research Institute uh, and noted Sunday by the Wall Street Journal found approximately one third of respondents believe in a higher power, marking an increase from just a quarter who said that in 2021. Multiple young adults, church leaders and theologians who spoke to the Wall Street Journal attributed the apparent increase to the upheaval of the COVID-19 pandemic which the Reverend Daryl Roberts of the 19th Street Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., said stripped away many of the protections young people had come to expect. Some of the young people who spoke to the outlet indicated that a belief in a higher power does not necessarily carry over into identifying with an organized religion. We are seeing an openness to transcendence among young people. It's a good start that we haven't seen for some time. Abigail Visco Rusert She's the associate dean at Princeton Theological Seminary, speaking to the outlet. The Wall Street Journal noted that other polls, such as one conducted by Gallup in 2022, have found that belief in God is in decline. While the vast majority of respondents said that they still believe in God, Gallup found that that number had dipped from 87 percent in 2017 to 81 percent last year. More than 90 percent of Americans believe in God between 1944 and 2011, according to Gallup. A Wall Street Journal uh, NORC poll uh, published in March, found that 31% of Americans between 18 and 29 claimed religion was very important to them, 31%, which the outlet noted was the lowest percentage among all adult age demographics. A report from the Pew Research Center said the general social survey published in September found a surge of adults leaving Christianity to become atheists, agnostics, or nothing in particular. It predicted that if the number of Christians under 30 abandoning their faith accelerates beyond the current pace, 
Adherence to the historically dominant religion of the U.S. could become a minority by 2045. The Springtide Research Institute survey comes amid recent revival movements that were have swept across college campuses, such as Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, which drew national attention in February after students conducted round-the-clock worship services in its chapel for days. Similar movements then spread to other Christian colleges nationwide. Unless one think it was just a flash in the pan, wait and see, continue to pray, God is on the move. If you look at the world and you look at what's going on and what the Gen Z is facing, I just think they're absolutely desperate for something other than what the world is giving them right now. That's what Asbury University Communications Director Abby Laub said of all of this, adding that Gen Z has suffered much during the past few years. And let's hope they look for the right, look in the right places and for the right things as the answer to their heart's cry. Well, on this day in history, 1862, President Abraham Lincoln signs an act establishing the Department of Agriculture. 1930, registered nurse Ellen Church, the first airline stewardess, goes on duty aboard the Oakland to Chicago flight operated by Boeing Air Transport, the forerunner of United Airlines. My understanding is that flight was something like 20 hours long and there were 13 to 16 stops along the way. Who would want to be a stewardess? And yet... Here we are. 1972, Alabama Governor George C. Wallace is shot and left paralyzed while campaigning for president in Laurel, Maryland. 1988, the Soviet Union begins withdrawing its troops from Afghanistan more than eight years after Soviet forces entered the country. 1991, President Herbert Walker Bush takes Queen Elizabeth to a major league baseball game between the Baltimore Orioles and Oakland Athletics. 2008, on this day in history, California's Supreme Court declares same-sex couples in the state can marry, a victory for the gay rights movement that would be overturned the following November by the passage of Proposition 8, which would ultimately be struck down by the courts. And 2013, an international team of scientists announces the first successful cloning of human cells. And finally, on this day in history, 2014, President Barack Obama dedicates the National September 11th Memorial and Museum deep beneath ground zero, calling it a symbol that says of America, nothing can ever break us. It sounds um, so noble to hear that nothing can ever break us. And yet we can implode from uh, our own foolish policies and decisions made. It is a sad thing to watch uh, the country moving. It appears to me at least in the wrong direction. Very, very sad. I want to give you a heads up that coming up on um, Wednesday, Food for the Poor will join me here in studio. We're going to focus on their latest campaign to do just that, provide food for the poor in countries where they desperately need outside help. So uh, KPDQ listeners have been very generous in the past, and we will give you an opportunity to do the same again. That's later this week, Wednesday, and quite possibly Thursday as well right here on the Georgine Rice Throw and throughout the day on KPDQ. I mentioned earlier that uh, John Durham, known for prosecuting FBI agents connected to the infamous mobster James Whitey Bulger, is now a fourth attorney general's pick uh, to lead the special investigation uh, into suspected government men- misconduct. Well, the Justice Department confirmed to media outlets that the attorney general, William Barr, named Durham, now U.S. attorney for the District of Connecticut, to look into why and how the department and FBI officials began investigating associates of President Donald Trump's uh, before the 2016 election. Well, Durham's resume includes investigating the mafia and crooked politicians 
And he released his uh, final report uh, earlier today suggesting that, uh, in fact, uh, the FBI and the Department of Justice acted unlawfully, although it's unlikely that charges will be filed. Durham is 68. He started his career as a Connecticut state prosecutor working from 78 to 82 in the New Haven State's attorney's office. Um, He, as I mentioned, was noted for busting the mafia FBI connection. He also conducted special probes of CIA and terror detainees. He is a devoted Catholic and a Red Sox fan. Despite handling high-profile cases, he typically keeps a low profile. Earlier this year, according to the um, uh, the day new, uh, daily newspaper, the New London, um, uh, Durham and his wife have four sons, eight grandchildren. He reportedly is a big Boston Red Sox fan. Uh, very quiet. Uh, the New Republic, a liberal magazine, wrote of Durham in 2011 that he earned a nonpartisan, camera-shy, white knight reputation. Um, and uh, he led some of the biggest public corruption cases of Connecticut. Among them was the case of the Connecticut governor, John Rowland, a Republican who resigned in 2004 after federal prosecutors found him illegally uh, taking gifts from state contractors. And he was, at least before all of this, lauded by Democrats. They recently excoriated Barr for even using the word spy to talk about actions by the Obama administration's FBI and Justice Department against the Trump campaign before the presidential election in November. However, they could have a difficult time and did attacking Durham. Um, He was confirmed as U.S. attorney in February of 2018 by a voice vote in the Senate. He had gained praise from Democrats when Trump nominated him and he was charged with the uh, report that was just recently revealed about the uh, uh, the issues raised in this investigation, the Durham investigation that's now come to a close. We'll try to spend some time reading more of the details in that report. I did cover it briefly in the open of today's program, but it's 300 pages long. And if there are other disclosures, we'll certainly try to cover them at some future point. Well, we are out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing. Dave uh, King, well, actually, James is engineering today as well. Dave King is behind another mic in the building doing our traffic today. Hope you'll join us here tomorrow and uh, anticipate Food for the Poor joining us here on the program coming up later this week on Thursday. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.